You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What's up? It's Doc Coyle in the place to be in the hotel room at one in the morning recording stuff for the X-Man podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm Doc Coyle. Did I just say that? Must be an echo in this motherfucker. Just how it's going to be. Yes, it's been very difficult to get some uh, downtime to record a podcast. Maybe it's late. I feel like I'm doing my uh, my sexy man voice. Hey, guys. Doc Coyle here. Keeping it smoky. Keeping it silky. Keeping it smooth. And keeping it sexy. Wish I had some Kilvassier out this bitch. I do not, but I did decide to get a uh, little bit of styrofoam cup hotel coffee, you know, in the middle of the night just to get, you know, get the brains activated. You know, truth be told, I don't I don't have a whole lot of um, stuff to talk about in the intro. I'm just out on this tour. Uh, Bad Wolves is on the second leg of the U.S. American tour with 500 Death Punch, Breaking Brent Benjamin. Uh, we got to move up a slot, and our buddies in from Ashes to New is opening. And uh, it's been pretty damn great. I'm not gonna lie, not gonna lie, guys. Uh, uh, I've taken a liking to arena rocking. <laughs> no, no, it's a, it's a, it's a true blessing. And uh, we did a couple actually like sideshows, off dates, headlining that we were kind of worried about. Uh, at least I was, and they all turned out great. And that's super encouraging, um, you know, considering, you know, when you do like side shows, they're not quite as well advertised maybe as the main tour. They don't have the national advertising and, you know, I think they were set up a little late. So yeah, it's, it's, it's really exciting. And it, um, it kind of makes me think about, you know, I don't know if you guys have seen this story about this band Threaten, um, LA based, uh, with this guy, Jared Threaten, who kind of tricked all these promoters and in the in Europe to do this tour you know and kind of pretended to be a, a popular band and it's a really weird story you know I guess they're they're, they're catching a lot of heat and if you want to uh, catch up on the story I would go to metalsucks.net and actually New York Times just picked up uh, I guess a lot of the the journalistic uh, work that that metal sucks and I think metal injection has done done some work on it it's a really really fascinating story. Um, about this guy who kind of tricked all these people and, and faked everyone um, into just getting to do his have his band do some shows in 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 Europe, and it made me you know I know a lot of people may, might want to be angry or maybe just I don't know kind of stare and laugh at like a 
you know, kind of a freak show or something. But what for me, it it, it made me really sit down and appreciate, you know, uh, what's going on in, in, in my career right now. Because what I'm doing, once it becomes normal, it's very, very easy to take take this for granted and to normalize it and just get used to it and maybe complain about whatever, missing home or, you know, you go to a venue that doesn't have Wi-Fi or it's cold outside or any number of, of things, you know, oh, the dressing room is too small or I don't know. It's 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 real easy to, to kind of take this stuff for granted and it's incredible to see the lengths people will go through to get even to even taste just a tiny bit of of what I've had the fortune uh, to do uh, most of my adult life, and uh, so I don't I don't take that lightly, and it's kind of made me, you know, I've, I've sometimes I'll say in hype in a in a hyperbolic way, man, people would kill to have what I have or kill to be where I'm at. And I mean, that's not too far off, you know? Um, and I think that goes for any glamor field, you know, whether that's sports or an actor or, you know, there's something about these jobs, you know, it's like, you know, it's a bit fantastical. It's about, you know, say, you know, if you're a little kid, you say you want to be the rock star, it's, you know, kind of like saying you want to be a, a cowboy, you know, or, <laughs> you know, Iron Man or something, you know, because it's not really re- realistic a thing. I think in this day and age, you know, um, because it's so unlikely. It doesn't mean you can't be a mu- musician, but to kind of live that that more kind of fantastic level, fantastical level, I think is is a little out of the realm. But anyway, so kind of that story. I would suggest reading about it if you're, you know, interested in in a very very odd and kind of fascinating uh, story about a very interesting in- individual. I, I've I've started following them on on Instagram to get the get the deets. I'm fascinated, but that, that, that's just me. Anyway, and that, that kind of relates to um, our, our show coming up because um, Ben uh, from Metal Sucks is one of the ones who actually broke that story. But before we get into our conversation, I have to talk about this week's sponsor. And this week's sponsor is actually a record label called Minus Head Records. I don't know if you remember, uh, they sponsored some episodes a while back, but they kind of spread out their sponsorship because they have... Uh, different releases coming out at a different time. And this week's uh, band from their label I get to talk about is great because it's some really good friends of mine. And it's a band called All Hell the Yeti. Uh, their singer, Connor, I've known for 15 years. And uh, when he was with an old band called Time is the Enemy uh, from Canada. and But now he lives in LA and he's a great guy, a really talented uh, tattoo artist and very talented vocalist. But anyway, they have a new album coming out on Minus Head Records called Highway Crosses. And it actually came out uh, today, the day that I'm actually recording this. But by the time you're hearing it, it will have come out uh, the previous week. And we will play a song entitled Slow Season. Check it out. The woods are me Surviving slowly alone I've been put to the test the fear is taking over
track slow season from their newly released album highway crosses and of course that is on minus head records and they are this week's sponsor you can go over to their website minushead.com and also you can check out all hail the yeti on facebook at facebook.com backslash official all hail the yeti i love those guys that song really really kicks ass and you guys should check it out and i definitely appreciate minus head records sponsoring the show if you'd like to sponsor the show please hit me up on social media or you can drop me an email at the xman podcast at gmail.com with the business out of the way just want to give a real quick intro to our guest mr ben Yumanov, or as he is also known as vince nielstein uh one of the creators and owners of metalsucks.net. And I've known Ben for a long time. And in, in many ways, I probably wouldn't be doing this show if it wasn't for um, him and his partner, Matt. And essentially, they give me a platform to write articles about heavy metal on their website going back to 2009. And it kind of uh, started my love affair with... Uh, just being involved in kind of multimedia and led to other jobs writing and then their podcast under the Metal Sucks name 
I started doing guest spots on there and that kind of got my um, my appetite for for podcasting started. So the, the writing and the podcasting really, really feed each other. So there's a, a really big connection there. And I'm, I'm really glad to have him on because, you know, we we talk a little bit about some of the controversies with Metal Sucks. We talk a little bit, a little bit about politics. We talk about the state of, of the scene. And uh, I really like getting more media people, people on here because I think they're perhaps free with their opinions in a way that maybe musicians aren't because, you know, they're not as restrained by kind of the politics of uh, having to be friends friends with everyone. And I think someone like Ben, um, their perspective is, is, is so unique because they're the type of person that spends their, their time really thinking deeply about um, the culture of the scene and helps shape the culture in a, in a, in a really broad and distinct way. So I'm, I'm really glad to have him on. So please check out this conversation with my friend, Ben Yumanov. Welcome to the X-Man podcast. Should we, should we call you Ben or Vince? What do you? Yeah, yeah, Ben. Uh, we'll do real name. <laughs> real. Uh, we can talk about that, though, if you want. Government name. <laughs> <laughs> Government-issued name. Call me Benjamin. <laughs> right on. Um, I'd say in, in many ways, without you and um, your website, I probably wouldn't even have this show. Um you know, for, 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 for people who don't know, you know, the b- way I basically got started doing media in the music and, and, and metal realm was I started writing for metalsucks.net back, started back in 2009, I think, or 2010. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, and, and thanks, by the way, that's, that's really flattering. Um, it was, um, you know, it's funny because your brother was the first one that wrote for us, uh, like really one of the first people in any band uh, that wrote for us. Um, and then I don't remember exactly the events that led to you coming to write for us as well. But um, you ended up, I think, in the end, being the more prolific of <laughs> of the two Coil brothers for the, for the Metal Sucks guest blogs. Well, actually, part of the reason why I started writing was... I felt like he would kind of write things that were inflammatory f- just for the sake of being inflammatory. The the uh, in- infamous uh, headline, and I can't believe you guys even printed this, Hillary Clinton is a nigger. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I'd actually be curious to go back and read that with, you know, 10 years now of hindsight and all that's happened in the world. Um, but, yeah, there's no question that his stuff was very incendiary. Um, and, you know, there was something to it though. It was raw, uh, and it was, it was honest, um, or, I mean, you might know better, you know, whether it was honest or not, you grew up with the guy. Um, but you know, it definitely struck a nerve with folks at the time. And I, you know, I think dovetailed really nicely with what we were doing as a whole. Yeah. Well, anyway, I, I felt that, you know, a lot of things he was saying didn't represent where I was coming from and I, and I wanted and I felt like it, even though it was good that there was some other, I guess, angles for for the band to get out there. I, you know, I wanted, I didn't want it to be feel like that was the way I felt, and I and I don't I don't want to be represented or misrepresented. But, uh, but anyway, so I started, um, I started, I started writing you guys, which for several years and led to the the NBA blog, and that end, led to basically me. 
you know, do, doing that stuff and uh, getting a lot of feedback from people telling me felt like I could, that I was good enough to actually write professionally. And eventually I was uh, hired to write professionally. And then I think that, you know, for years I wanted to do a podcast. And if it wasn't for you guys kind of bring me on as a, as a guest, I think consistently and getting some reps in that on your podcast um, with Chuck and Godless that, I don't. I. I don't know if this would have happened if I would have got comfortable enough. So. So yeah. In, in. In many ways, you know, I don't think I would be here doing this without you guys. So. So just you know, on the on the front end, thank you very much. Awesome, man. That's really cool. Thank you. Nope. 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 No problem. So, we were we were in touch, and you were you were saying, um, you know, because you you mentioned some things about your background before Metal Sucks, which I knew, know basically nothing about. Um, and you said you worked at atlantic records yeah so um that was actually my last job before uh before i quit to do this full-time um or i should say before and during um i actually got my start my very first job um here's sort of a an x-man podcast tie-in i was listening to your episode with john finberg Mm -hmm. and he uh he mentioned one of his first jobs being at a booking agency in Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, but he didn't say the name of it or the name of the person, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there's not really, uh, to my knowledge, there haven't been any other significant ones. So I'm going to blow up his spot right now. Uh, the name of the agency was Ashley Talent International, mm-hmm. and um, I actually had a internship there um, in Michigan? When I was still in, in uh, yeah, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, when I was still in college. Um, I grew up here in New York, but uh, I went to college there at the University of Michigan. Uh, so that was that was my first sort of intro into the industry. Um, just sort of, you know, doing what interns do, making coffee. Um, the 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 fellow who Finberg mentioned that he worked for, whose name I will not mention, um, actually once asked me to go to his car and fetch him an umbrella because it was raining outside and he didn't want to walk the long walk from the office to the car in the parking lot. Did he use the word uh, fetch? But, <laughs> I, he probably used some worse word, to be honest. He's probably like, yo, go get me that umbrella. I don't know what the hell he said. Um, but so that internship transitioned into more of a job. Um, there was a, a fellow working there named Michael Rand, who was super uh, supportive of me and kind of took me under his wing, um, allowing me to really assist him in booking some of the acts that he was working at the time and that the agency as a whole was working. They were sort of tied into this other agency that I think still exists called Paradise Artists that specializes mostly in um, I guess older acts, you could say. Um, so at the time, this was 2004, 2005. I, um, I was allowed to go out and get dates for some bands that I had grown up listening to uh, in the 90s, like Sponge was one that, you know, they were a Michigan band. Um, Seven Mary Three was another one. And then like older stuff like Rat and Skid Row, Quiet Riot, those were kind of their like 80s metal legacy acts and like i was so pumped i was like holy <laughs> shit i like i just i just booked a date for skid row like so what it has nothing to do with sebastian bach but whatever you know that was that was super super cool for me um so then after that um i decided i wanted to move back to new york and there was a small label in new york 
that we were working i was booking one of the bands for uh the band the name of the band was even the odd and uh they were on a small label here called wrong records and basically ended up um working myself into a job working at this this small independent label in new york that had a a a bunch of different kinds of bands on it and was sort of housed in a uh in a really nice recording studio actually called the shed uh, and there was a guy, guy named Dan Wise, that that ran it, who was a producer and also very helpful to me. I was, you know, I was like 23, 24 at the time, so still, you know, really young, like no idea what the fuck I was doing. Um, also, out of that studio, there was a manager who was working, who mostly managed producers, uh, which is sort of a really small niche that not a lot of people think about. Um, and um, after a couple years working sort of in that environment i ended up moving into an office full-time with the manager and just sort of being his assistant um his name is eric eager he's uh, as far as i know i think still an active manager and um after a couple years there so that was where i started metal sucks uh that was the time matt and i just had this crazy idea to do a metal blog, which is like, it sounds crazy now, but nobody was doing it at the time. Like there was nobody that was doing any kind of opinionated coverage of metal. What year? Was, um, this was 2006, end of 2006. And what, um, what, what, what was the Eureka moment or was there a Eureka moment? Or is it more something? The, the Eureka evolved? moment there was, was, um, we were at a show. We were at, uh, Amonamarth children of Bodom at what is now the PlayStation Theater in New York. I guess back then it was called probably like the Nokia Theater or something. I was at that show. Oh, were you really? Yeah. Were you playing it? No, just hanging out. Oh, that's awesome. Um, It was a cool show. So in between bands, um, I don't know, we were just stoned and like I had this idea. I was like, let's start a, a metal site, but like let's make it like Pitchfork and like let's make it snarky and funny and you know, like nothing like that exists. Like we were both like daily blabbermouth readers, daily metal sludge readers. Uh, you know, probably not a lot of folks really know about metal sludge anymore. But is metal sludge the, the kind of eighties? Yeah, stuff. And yeah. They, that, is that where the women would dis- disclose uh, <laughs> secrets about hooking up with band dudes? Is that the website? Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah, um, and you know, talk about their dicks and all that stuff. Um, Important stuff. But, uh, so, so the, the the tone of that was definitely a big inspiration to us. Um, but in any case, that was the eureka moment at that show. And then I just kind of I went. I I don't really remember how we came up with the name Metal Sucks, but I think it might have been right there at that show. Um, I went and registered the domain name the next day, set up like a dinky bare bones WordPress site, and we just started writing. And were you guys writing? before that in in any other capacity or or opining uh in written word anywhere um that's a good question uh so matt's background is definitely more in the writing sphere than mine um and that's definitely something that you can see especially in the early days but you know even now is like i think he's clearly the more gifted wordsmith of the two of us you know he just is a very, very, very talented writer. Uh, where my background, as as you just learned, was more in the music industry, and you know, like I had been in bands and stuff. So you know, I had that angle to be able to write about 
I guess, more of the technical aspects of the music itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, neither of us had ever written in any kind of professional capacity before. Uh, we kind of just dove right into it and just started vomiting our opinions right onto the web. And uh, you guys, even though it seemed like you were determined to do something in the music industry, like you you, you had some connection and a, and a certain amount of passion that professionally you wanted to be involved in this in this world. Yeah, um, I, I would say that's definitely true. Um, I'm not sure really the moment I figured that out or um, or how I did it. Um, but, uh, you know, I guess I grew up in a very musical household. My my father owned a guitar store um, in Manhattan, which was there for nearly 50 years. And I spent my summers and Christmas vacations working there. And, you know, we always had musicians staying with us and we're going to shows and so on and so forth. And uh, I was in bands in high school and college. And, you know, I don't really know where the, the switch flipped to, like, I want to do this for a living. But I guess at some point in college, I figured out that it would be, you know, I guess when you're just start, you're, you're in college and, and you're sort of looking at what your options are, um, it seemed kind of like a natural thing for me to be doing. And, and when I got that internship, that was the foot in the door. And with the website, was there professional inclinations at the beginning or is it more just we're going to, you know, have a laugh and not give a fuck and have fun? Yeah, the, there was that. There were really no professional inclinations. Like there, it was just um, let's just put our opinions out there. You know, like no one is doing this in the metal world. There needs to be some kind of reality check. You know, we want to have fun with it. We want to be basically Beavis and Butthead sitting on a couch making fun of music videos, just calling it as we see it, um, and just having fun with it. Um, but uh, so yeah so what ended up happening was so we we started the site and i was i was still working with eric eager um and then i moved on to atlantic records and that was a very very interesting experience working at a major label um and this was what exactly were you doing there i was um i was a project manager in the new media department still called new media you know this was 2007 so the internet i guess was not really new but in the major label world it was new um and i was sort of the go between between all the rock bands on the roster and the designers and developers who built websites and at the time myspace pages were very big and you know just kind of getting their web presence in order um, but it was a really weird time to be at a major label because streaming hadn't quite come in yet, but sales were way down and they were kind of just trying to figure out like, what the hell do we do? I think that was, uh, I think that was everybody though. Right. I, that wasn't that, I think that late two thousands, uh, aughts, or as they, as they put it, uh, you know, that period kind of into, into like 2014, 2013, that era was probably the, you know, the adolescence or the the awkward years for the transition between what the hell was going on. There's, you know, how many people were signifying, uh, you know, being doomsayers essentially about what the industry. I, I can say that was the time I know for for my old band, God forbid, where we were struggling and kind of 
see, you know, coming from a certain period of time where we were one of the bands that got to actually sell a decent amount of albums, physical albums, and kind of have a little bit of life in that world and then also kind of see things evolve, you know? And, and Yeah, and, it was, it was a weird, weird time. Yeah, it really was. Um, and, and in, in metal, you know, I don't know whether to say it was any worse or better in metal. Um, what I did notice, I think was that metal, the metal industry was a little bit behind the curve as far as, uh, you know, the kind of just following because, you know, I mean, even now, metalheads still focus on the album format, you know, where that seems to be a thing of the past in almost every other genre. Um, but it was it was a very strange time. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's interesting what you said about God Forbid, because it really did kind of coincide with your band's apex. Yeah, I mean, but I think probably us and whomever came along around the same time as us... Um, probably experienced some some certain things obviously many bands survived and thrived and um and a lot of bands i feel like who came at the next generation which is more kind of i guess the white chapels and black dolly murders and those those kind of bands seem to be a little bit better off because they were a little more prepared for that new world and they they understood social media a little bit better they uh, I think had developed a, a better sense of self-sufficiency. Bands like Periphery, for example, came around this time, kind of changed the business model in terms of how you produce records, how you could uh, capitalize off of different revenue streams and things things of that nature, you know, just being a little bit more uh, creative in the uh, entrepreneurial sense, you know? Yeah, uh, there, and there was definitely you know, for, for better, or for worse. And, you know, I'm not saying anything about like you guys, uh, but there was this attitude at the time when the, the income wasn't quite matching the expectations where bands had this idea that they deserve a certain amount of compensation for their success. You know, that like art has this intrinsic value and that anything short of that is unfair. Yeah. Well, you know, fair or not, that's, that was just the new reality, you know? And I think, like you said, you had these bands coming in, like I think Periphery are, are probably the best example of, of, you know, of any band I can think of that do this, that have these ancillary income streams and, you know, go into it thinking, you know, well, hey, you know, if this can be an income, sweet. If not, oh, well, fuck it. Uh, you know, and, and they're they're super honest out there in the press about how it's just impossible to make a living full time on music at that level. Yeah, I mean, in in many ways, they're kind of the metal version of a you know two thousand you know in two thousand eight of a SoundCloud rap, rapper where they were essentially giving their music away in demo form in these uh, online communities, and it spread around organically and created a fan base. But they didn't do that through, hey, we're going to play a bunch of shows and sell our demo or kind of, had, you know, it, it was it was a very, very modern way of, of looking at things. I, I listened to the podcast you did with uh, Charlie Benante from Anthrax and, you know, I definitely had more affinity for your your viewpoint. On, on 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 there and you know no offense to charlie i think charlie's a, a really great guy and um obviously have a lot of respect for anthrax i love them um 
But, you know, I, th- I think there is a, a, a mentality, you know, and I wrote uh, about this a lot, about trying to reframe how we how how we look at this. It's things like, you know, words like you use, like music or musicians deserve blank or X. And I'm just in a, you know, this is a market economy, you know, whether, you, <laughs> whether we like that or not. And it, it's not about what you deserve. It's about what you have the, the leverage to negotiate. And the the most important part, I, I think, of getting through that tough period was just acceptance, right? And I think a lot of those musicians were a lot of, you know, and we, and we see it. We see the quotes on Blabbermouth is that not even a hint. I think it's it's laden with bitterness about it used to be like this and now it's like this and that sucks and and I'm angry, you know? Yeah. I mean, I get that attitude. I do. Um, you know, you, you become accustomed to a certain way things are and lifestyle and then it changes and maybe you don't understand it. Maybe you do, but in either case, it's just different, you know? And I mean, like even the blogging space or just, you know, to, to speak more broadly, the online advertising space has changed immensely since metal sucks started, you know, and in, in ways that aren't really good for us, to be honest with you. Uh, but, you know, I kind of just try and look at that and, and, um, and, and be grateful that I have had a career that's been as successful as it has for the past 12 years, nine of them full time doing something that has been creatively fulfilling and fun for me, you know, and I, I look at what the landscape is now and I do my best to understand it and how we fit into that and, uh, try and move forward with it. Yeah. Um, so around the time I started writing for the site, it was also, you know, coincided with me just becoming a fan of the site and being one of the people that was a consumer. And I loved what you guys were, were doing uh, because I, I could feel because obviously for those, you know, it's, it's funny how many times I would wear my metal suck shirt and go to <laughs> like Ozfest or something and have a bunch of people be like, what the hell you mean metal sucks? Why are you at a metal show? Like they, you know, clearly I, I, irony, irony is not exactly, um, at the tip of, of a lot of these people's uh, consciousness. Uh, <laughs> um, put it mildly. No, no, no. But, but what I loved about the site was the passion, you know I mean? Clearly, you know, I, I guess to a certain degree, you know, um, I could, I wasn't exactly the, the most objective person because you guys were very, uh, you carried a lot of favor for God forbid. So obviously, I, you know, I felt welcome and all that. And it was the, that, that little, you know, little pat on the back ego stroke. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I noticed one of the things when, and one of the things I loved about it was when I started writing for the site was I felt like the people who, at least who were the, who was commenting on the stuff, there seemed to be a, another level or a better level of discourse of, um, you know, like there was, I would write an article and then there would be a debate, you know, but a good debate in, in, in the comment section. And there seemed to be, I don't know, just, just, it, it, it was, it felt communal. It felt like people gave a shit and it seemed different back then than the lamb goats or when I guess by mouth, they, I think they discontinued the comments on the page. I think now it's through Facebook or something, but it was like, there was, it was known for having a very swamp like, uh, <laughs> um, and just negative negativity, 
uh, based discourse. And I thought this was kind of a, on a more intellectual level, which is why I kind of wrote pieces that I thought would stir up a conversation or kind of, um, poke at con conventions. Um, and that definitely didn't last. <laughs> <laughs> no, it did not. I was like, where's doc going with this? I think I know, but let's um, see. <laughs> no, it, 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 that definitely evolved over time. And, and the, um, and I, and I imagine as the site grew, um, because eventually you were able to leave your, your day job. Yeah. So, um, I left Atlantic in the summer of 2009. Um, and like I said, it was a very strange experience, uh, you know, being in that major label, like huge company environment. I'd never done anything like that before and probably never will, but you know, I did learn a lot. Uh, I met a lot of people and it allowed me to, you know, it paid me a full-time salary while I continued developing metal sucks. Uh, you know, and, and they knew what was going on and, you know, everyone there had some kind of side hustle. Um, so, um, it got to a point in, let's say early 2009 where I kind of was just fed up with working in that environment. You know, like I was like, I do not enjoy making MySpace pages for John Mayer. Uh, you know, like I do not enjoy having to sit here and pretend to bob my head along and act like I like the new stained signal, uh, single, uh, you know, <laughs> 10 years after that band was a thing. Um, you know, and when you're still a thing, man, they're, they're still big. <sighs> yeah. Um, well, yeah, that's a whole <laughs> separate conversation. Um, but, um, it, it was just getting, to, it was just getting soul crushing for me to, you know, to be in that environment. And, uh, at the same time, I had a lot of views and opinions, which I would later publicize on Metal Sucks, you know, for example, about like music streaming. Uh, and in 2008, major label, these are very unpopular opinions. Like no one wants to hear how music can just be streamed for free, you know, and like supported by advertising. Like no one – like they're like get the fuck out of the room. Like literally the head of the label – yelled at me for 10 minutes in front of the entire top brass of the company about like how what ended up being Spotify was a terrible idea and unfair to the artists. So it was like, I need to get the fuck out of here. Um, Wait a second, you're, you're, you're saying the major labels didn't have impeccable vision for what was, <laughs> was about to come to pass? Imagine that. <laughs> um, but hey, man, they're doing great now. Like now is probably a great time to work at a label. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, so like within the preceding year, we had started Blast Beat Network with uh, the dudes from Metal Injection. And uh, for, for those that are listening that might not know, uh, Blast Beat Network handles the advertising for Metal Sucks, Metal Injection, Lamb Goat, PRP, and uh, several other sites. Uh, you know, and Decibel was in the network for many years. They're now handling their own. Um, Revolver was even in there for a time at the very beginning. Um, Metal Underground, The Hard Times, tons of sites. So, so that kind of served as the... Can yeah, I, can go I ahead. Cut, cut in real quick? Sorry to yeah. uh, interrupt. Um, so... What's the hierarchy? Because I've seen some some uh, articles, or I guess let's say these are the biggest metal sites. Do do we know numbers wise who's the biggest in the world? Yeah, like just or just yeah, whatever. Um, I would say probably. You know, it's interesting. Excuse me, because I think Loudwire might actually be the biggest. Yeah. Um, 
but they but that comes with an asterisk because uh, I'm not sure if this is still the case, but when they started, there was a lot of their traffic coming in from radio state, just like regional radio stations, active rock radio stations, and they were kind of funneling it there. Um, and they also seem to have more of a broader focus, like they will write a positive article about Nickelback, for example. So, you know, when you're doing that, you're probably going to get a lot of visits. Um, but I, I, w- I think, you know, I'm not sure whether loudwire or blabbermouth like i think blabbermouth might still have the the key there Uh, i mean they just publish so much content you know and it's so general that you know there's nothing really to offend anybody well i mean there's i think there's a diff it's almost like the difference between um you know reuters or ap and then the huffington post Right. Exactly. To, to, to give, yeah. you know, uh, a, a corollary to to kind of the regular political me- media. There's just some some things people want to go. It's like just the facts, ma'am. Um, even even though Blabbermouth has a, a quasi um, sensationalist slant because they will pick quotes and things that they feel will garner certain attention. It's editorialized in that in that way, but it's not it doesn't necessarily have a, a point of view. Right, right. Totally. Uh, that's a that's a good analogy. So like, I guess continuing with that, you know, I guess like metal sucks is more like the CNN or um, the like the Guardian, maybe, you know, like what's what's a publication that's a little more outwardly left leaning? I mean, I, well, I, I put it I would say it's more Huffington Post because it's sure it's, sure. it's never just this happened and we're not going to tell you what we think about it. It's it. You're you guys are saying this thing happened, and here's how we feel about it uh, from our perspective. And um, and that's you know I I think Huff, HuffPost is one of the few few websites where I actually still get um, or apps that I get notifications. And you know the the way they present something is definitely with a framing to it, which you know for me personally, you know makes me take it with a, a certain grain of salt, understanding that it's coming through a prism and not to take their slant necessarily as this is exactly what happened. It's here's what happened, but here's how we feel about it as well. And here's right, how maybe yeah. you should feel about it. Yeah. And I think in the world of music, I think that's even more allowable because it's art, you know, yeah. and it's open for interpretation uh, and everybody has an opinion. Whereas, with with news, you can obviously still editorialize it, but in the end, facts are facts. I guess you know. I guess or in the post-Trump era, maybe they're not facts. There's alternative facts. Like, yeah. you know, I don't even know anymore. Um, but um, but yeah, you know, in, in that analogy, I guess then you know, metal injection. There may be the like the USA Today or something. You know, like uh, or or maybe the CNN. Maybe maybe. Yeah, they don't. They're, they they're they're not. You know, because I guess the the way they started was more as a video content provider and and kind of being multimedia in a, in a different different kind of way. And I guess they still do stuff like they do a lot of original content and interviews and and things of that nature. Um, so kind yeah, of yeah, they do, they do a lot of it. So we we've we've kind of one thing I want to talk about, and we've kind of talked about this before because you and I have actually debated um <laughs> on 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 metal sucks about kind of this this issue um uh, because i wrote an article on, on vh1 and actually to this day i've probably gotten more feedback from this article than anything i've ever written where basically i 
I criticized um, Metal Sucks and Metal Injection for framing articles in a way that kind of, I felt, pitted, pitted the different sets of the heavy music world against each other. And I felt it was, you know, anyway, but we, um, I don't want to kind of rehash that that argument, but what I, I do want to talk about is this kind of, uh, this type of coverage, right? Where you're really not afraid to go after people. <laughs> I guess maybe maybe the most obvious example is you know maybe phil from all that remains or david dreaming i don't know if have you ever like actually just written like a article shitting on dave from david dreaming or anything like that oh yeah i mean you know uh, yeah many okay uh, so you know we like we've picked on his vocals we've picked on his politics which he's, he seems to be a little more quiet about or and maybe even improved about recently but but yes definitely well um and did that was that something that you guys did from the start where if someone was, you felt in your, your measure, either not um, you wasn't good enough or whatever, by whatever standard you didn't like what they were doing artistically, or maybe you didn't like something you were willing to come out from the get go and kind of say that, is that something that came into the, the, you know, the stream of things as the, the, the site developed? Uh, no, it's always been there. Um, I think the political stuff is a newer development, uh, and I think just a reflection of the times we live in right now. Um, but, you know, I mean, you go back to some of our very first articles in the very first months of 2007, and you'll see, you know, you'll see us bagging on Fred Durst, uh, you know, bagging on, I don't even remember, like, maybe we're bagging on Phil Labonte all the way back then. I'm not sure, uh, but you know, you'll you'll definitely see it, and that that was always sort of the idea. Uh, it was just for us to be able to to be honest, you know. And I think people connected with that. I think people wanted that out of metal news at that time, just because it didn't exist. And I think that's what allowed us to be successful in what we were doing, and and really defined us. Do you? Um, do you, I'm trying to see how I can phrase this <laughs> when it sound 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 too bad. Um, do you feel that that framing or or that perspective is elitist? Um, yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, because there is because there is this like it makes me think in a, in a little bit of um that movie High Fidelity. Yeah, you know where they have a they have a scene where they're uh the you know, and then for people don't know High Fidelity with um, Jack Black and, and John Cusack, he he owns this record shop in Chicago, and basically all the guys that run the shop are music experts, and they kind of shit on people that come into the store that are nerds or that they feel like don't have as much knowledge as them, and uh, and that's kind of their their shtick, and it's and it, and and in, in 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 many ways it's. I think it's it's blatant elitism, but I also don't. I actually don't think there's really anything wrong with elitism in certain forms because the truth is, some people just know more than other people, right? Some people, you know, someone has a degree in um, you know film or film study or film criticism or film history, and then they watch a film, they're gonna don't they have an elite viewpoint because of the the work that they've done you know i don't, I don't think i don't i don't necessarily use the word elite as necessarily being bad um on its face you know 
Right, right. Uh, I get what you're saying. You know, I mean, I will say that it's not intentionally elitist. You know, uh, like you, you made the the analogy to somebody who has a degree in something, just inherently knowing more about it. You know, uh, there's no degree in metal. <laughs> We've just been doing this a long time, and we know a lot, and and have experienced a lot, and we're jaded assholes. You know, and you know, there's just certain kinds of of music or or metal or styles of of metal, let's say, that just don't excite us the way that others do and it's not intentional that's just how our tastes have evolved do you ever because i i i think there's an an element too where i imagine you guys started and you developed this style and you probably never thought the people would would listen would it would reach those people or that it would you would get to the level where it actually would affect them (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I mean, and like, so, and actually, I never really answered that question before that you asked. Is like when we started, we had no idea. Like, there was no plan that this was going to be anything. Uh, you know, it was like obviously we wanted people to to read it and we wanted it to be good, but we never thought it would like really believed that it would be, especially not a full time job. You know, that was crazy talk. But be, but because of that, um, do now, for example. Where you have, you know, you've been, you know, you are going behind kind of a, a nickname or whatever, like comedy name, and now you're kind of out there and people have access to you and you're, you know, now that you know, you might go to a show and see someone who perhaps you've said <laughs> said something <laughs> that's not flattering about in person, does that change your calculus or make you, do you feel bad about it or do you think twice maybe now than you would have? 10 years ago or something? Um, I, I think I'd be lying if I said it didn't at all. Uh, you know, it's, it's not something I think about actively very often because I just don't tend to, I, I don't tend to have any desire to go to a show where I would be in that kind of situation. Like, uh, you know, for example, like I'm just not going to go to a winds of plague show because I don't really like that band. So, you know, like why, why would I be there? Uh, but you know, like maybe, a more um, a more subtle way it could happen is like, what if I'm at, you know, I don't know, just to like name a band. What if I'm at a trivium show and their booking agent happens to be the same agent as some band that we shot on, and he's there, mm-hmm. you know, just like that make me uncomfortable. Like that's the kind of thing that would be more likely to happen. Um, and you know, I mean, I think at this point. There's just an, uh, kind of like a, a mutual understanding. Um, I think people respect our place in the media landscape and I think kind of know what to expect from us. And, you know, I think they, they recognize that if we're crapping on their band, it's not uh, anything personal against them or even anything personal against the band. It's just against the music. And further it doesn't even necessarily impact their career that much. You know, like Winds of Plague, Immuer, uh, All That Remains, these are super successful bands that we've shot on relentlessly, and they seem to be doing very, very well. Well, um, well if, they, so, if, if they weren't probably at a certain level, um, you wouldn't be writing about them, more than likely, right? If it was just... Some, right, well, that's a good point, but... Um, well, every now and again, what's that one it, segment you guys shit stain on the universe oh yeah yeah. uh, you'll kind of just find some viral video of some terrible band and (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, you know, and I mean, so sometimes we'll write about bands like that, but even, you know, uh, I guess All That Remains were already established, but Winds of Plague weren't when we started, you know, and but that was, was probably a, a point you, you guys supported All That Remains, right? Um, I don't know. You would uh, actually have to go back and look and see, but I mean, there's definitely, I think, like Axel or, or Matt in particular has an affinity for one of their early albums. Uh, you know, before they kind of changed up their sound. Well, it's 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 kind of fascinating for for me because, you know, I'm. I, I guess my whole philosophy, not just on, you know, uh, metal or, or or music, is just that is just kind of art in in general, is to really like I don't spend a lot of time focus focusing on things I don't like, you know, and if I don't like it. I, you know, oftentimes it, it doesn't even come to me that it is quote unquote bad. I just kind of say it's not for me, you know, and there's, th- and there's stuff that even though I might not enjoy it on a um, maybe entertainment level or, or taste level, there's certain things where I'm like, well, that, that band does blank really well, you know, or like certain films I'll go see where they're almost like ambitious failures where you see like it doesn't really work. But there's still something kind of interesting about it or there's some angle that, you know, where I, I think. Um, so I, I have this just kind of blanket way I, I look at, at things. Then on the on the other hand, you know, the, the main difference, you know, is me, someone who kind of started doing media and writing and doing podcasting is I am uh, seeing people and meeting people and around people. And, and I, I, and I guess just on a, on a basic level that requires me to have a certain amount of tact and, um, you know, we kind of, it's funny, like it makes me almost think of like punditry and like sports, right? One of the reasons why people love Charles Barkley, for example, is that he'll just, he'll be like, man, Dwight Howard, man, this dude can't make no free throws, man. He, he sucks in the playoffs, right? He'll just come out and just say what he thinks about people, no matter how famous they are or whatever, right? We we kind of like that. The you know the one who's just telling it like it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? um, but in many yeah, ways, I think, that, I think. Go ahead, sorry. People do relate to that, and you know, I know what you're saying is like you as a musician, you kind of have to um, you strike a more neutral tone, uh, you know. And I think uh, Misha said something about this several years ago, where it's like he just can't really say honestly what he thinks all the time because you know so-and-so's booking agent or manager might be you know might be looking and it might jeopardize some other opportunity for them um well but i think there's also an element too of you just just because i don't like a band you know doesn't it's almost i think it almost goes back to that if you have nothing nice to say don't say anything at all like that i think that's just instilled in me on on a basic level where i know just because i don't like band x doesn't mean they're not busting their ass and they're working hard or that a lot of people don't really like that and it's just on a respect level of hey man that 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 person's out there they're busting their ass they're working hard and they're doing their thing um and you kind of, and it's just looking at it on that on that level that, oh yeah, I don't like it, but that's not the entire sum of what makes, you know, some because you know th- that person is out there, they're doing their thing, and you have to, even if you don't like it, you all, I always w- want to respect it, you know. Yeah, opinion. for sure, I I totally understand that that outlook, and you know, and I think for us, I think 
um, I think if we were to strike that tone in our writing, I think it would uh, it, it would dilute uh, the message of the stuff that we're praising. Yeah. No, I know. Um, you know I, I understand that um, point. You've made that point. Yeah, I, yeah, I hear that. Um, yeah. You know, I think it would just I think then we would be the AP, the Reuters, you know, the like that rather than uh, the Huffington Post, you know. So, like, I think if you're just praising everything all the time, you know, there's certainly a place for that. But uh, it, it doesn't carry as much weight if you're not also calling out things that, you, you know, you might not like. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. Yeah, I mean, I would I would say you know this is another thing I've 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 written about is I respect that position, um, and I think you're right about that. Like that, it would undermine the credibility of of saying, "Hey, we're gonna make this take," because if like you said, if everything if everything is good, then nothing's bad, and there's no way to to delineate from thing A to thing B. Um, but I I do think, and this is not. I don't think it's your responsibility uh, to, to to do this, um, but I do think that kind of mentality because I don't think it's necessarily about your website. I think this is something that has uh, changed culturally over the last 20, 30 years within heavy music is everyone going to their corner and being more cemented by subgenre and we're over here, you're over there. And I think it has undermined the, the success of the genre as a as a whole. Is that I think a lot of younger bands, or you know, bands that are more in the underground, don't really like they don't really don't think of anything they're doing is similar 
to this kind of broader world of mainstream heavy music where it's back in the day if you had a band like venom i don't think they probably thought they were doing anything demonstratively different than a judas priest who is an arena band and platinum records and on mtv and, th- and things like that whereas whatever the vet you know tribute if tribulation is the venom of today i you know i don't know if they think they have anything in common with a five finger death punch who it might as well be the judas priest of this day you, does that make sense yeah yeah totally um uh, i wonder the extent that extends to other genres you know and the truth is i just really don't know because i'm not in it that deep on other genres uh you know like indie rock or electronic or you know or whatever um but i think a lot of it also is just a byproduct of the internet you know and and what the internet has done for music consumption is it's created all these smaller communities like these silos that you can go to you know like you like porno black metal grind post-apocalyptic core you know there's a fucking forum for you where does the porno part come in there what is that (laughs) that the lyrics Uh, or the videos i was thinking porno grind i don't know why i started with that um but uh yeah dude i mean you know look like i mean porn is actually a great example because every fetish you could possibly have there's a category for you on pornhub you know so like the internet has made uh, has made it so that like whatever very specific thing it is that you like, you can find. You don't really need to pay attention to necessarily the bigger mainstream stuff. Um, so, you know, I wonder the extent to which this is kind of just a wider phenomenon that would have happened anyway, or whether it's something, you know, more tied into what you're saying, like kind of a, a metal elitism issue. Well, I mean, I I hear that. You know, but but I think it is. You are one hundred percent right that it is um, just the way the internet has changed culture in general um, and kind of segmented these things. But the one thing that is uh, specific about heavy metal and 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 heavy music is that it holds a much smaller place in the culture at large than it did twenty, thirty years ago. We've lost uh, market share, you know, and not as much in the record sales and ticket sales and revenue side of it, we've lost the, uh, the spotlight, like, you know, like metal's still big, but we're just not allowed to the party anymore. It's, it's just considered this, uh, second class outsider music, which maybe that's the best place for it to be. Maybe that's what gives it its edge, right? If it was too in the mainstream, um, what's to rebel from, right? Um, yeah. And I, so, I, so I think there, there's something to be said for that, but it's also this thing where, you know, like Avenged Sevenfold didn't go to the Grammys because they stopped airing the Rock Award or something like that. So it used to be, we're not going to air the Metal Award. And now they're just taking, so we're, now we're, there's one thing when the Metal was losing its its place, now Rock as a whole or Hard Rock uh, has kind of lost its, its place as well. And I think, you know, we, we tend not to see that as bad, I think, in the moment because it's like, well, who cares if we're up there with Katy Perry and Migos and Future because that shit's corny and we don't want to be part of that anyway. But the problem is, um, and I've seen this out in, in L.A. in particular, at least with the, the kind of hard rock metal scene here, at least the, the Sunset Strip type uh, scene, is that it's just aging out and no new people are not showing up to replace it. 
And the, the Nikki Six lookalike scene on the Sunset Strip. But the <laughs> problem is the Nikki Six lookalikes are in their fifties now. They're not. It's not. You know. You know. We had kind of that resurgence maybe about eight to ten years ago with bands like Black Veil Brides, and you know, even going back to the Atreus, kind of bringing in a little bit of that. You know, when Steel Panther kind of first came out and was, you know, there was a little bit of revival in, in that world, but, uh, but that's kind of fallen by the by, by the wayside, and and what I'm worried about is not having young people to replenish to kind of you know yeah um i I think you make a really good point and uh sort of my response to that is that we as people in the metal world tend to forget how extreme the music we listen to is you know we're just so used to how it sounds that like we forget that you know, any person you would walk up to in a normal bar on the street, like you play them the new Black Dahlia murder, which isn't even that heavy by, you know, today's standards. And they were like, what the fuck is that? Like scream. Why is this guy screaming? You Black know, like, Dahlia people... has never not been heavy by my standards. Uh, I know. But like you could also like play them like Portal or like Pig Destroyer or, you know, just something like super, super heavy. Um, but, you know, I mean, so let's pick an even, you know, let's say even like a Treyu or something, you know, that has screaming vocals, but is pretty mainstream by our standards. You know, we just tend to forget how abrasive and extreme this music is. And I think that's the reason that metal is sort of more underground now. Uh, it, it just has evolved to a point where, you know, you had like your Judas Priests and your Metallicas and uh, a modern day example, Avenged Sevenfold or even Ghost which is just more palatable music to normal ears. But, you know, you I think the bands that are on the level below that don't really ever go up a level just because of how heavy and abrasive it is. Well, yeah, well, but I think my, my point of it is the, the gateway theory, that if I didn't listen to Guns N' Roses, you know, who was the biggest band in the world and was the number one band on MTV and sold 10 million records and played stadiums and you know even you know which it's kind of funny i listen to guns rose i'm like i'm kind of amazed this band is as popular like he has a crazy voice and it's a little you know but what i'm saying is if it's not for that band then eventually i don't get to get carcass heart work do you understand like what going down the rabbit hole if you can't have that band that uh creates the gateway for them to go down the uh the rabbit hole that eventually it will affect everyone you know and this is so this is why even a lot of the the bands you know kind of more underground bands like i think about a band like crowbar for example i don't think crowbar would still have a career if they weren't around during the 80s and was getting played on headbangers ball during a time when you had much much bigger bands filtering down that stream of of fans you know and i think a lot of bands that came out in that era were able to sell you know testament back in the day all their early records sold hundreds of thousands of copies but if they came out today i don't know if they would have that big enough stream above them that it would filter down on that on the on on that level and so this is why i think the lack of unity affects because what happens is bands that come more in the underground they don't have the ambition now to become the biggest band. So they kind of are, right, we're just going to stay in our scene. And so there's this lack, uh, you know, I think bands are still getting big. Um, but I think, you know, you look at the, 
late 90s, early 2000s, for example, when the, the new metal boom, right? How many headliners came from that flurry? 15? Like, I mean, you had a lot of bands sell a lot of records and climb the climb that ladder. And we haven't yeah. had it. And only Shit, the, dude, I just saw Nonpoint headlining the other day, and they're probably not even in that top 15. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You talk about, you talk about yeah. the top, you're talking about Slipknot, Disturbed, Corn, uh, Linkin Park, uh, Limp, you know, Limp Bizkit can still come and headline some huge festival. Deftones, um, you know, I can, I can, na- I can keep on going. System of a Down, you know, multi platinum, huge bands. That it's one thing to get it; it's another thing to maintain it. And those bands have maintained it, right? Like they could go, System of a Down could go ten years without a record and still come back and play arenas, and people still give a fuck, right? So you had a short amount of time where it was happening every six months. There'd be a new band that would just rise up the ranks. Now it happens twice a year where a band kind of you know like for in my band battles we're like the one one of the bands that has kind of gone through we're not at that level yet you know we'll see well you guys have catchy songs and clean vocals you know so no doubt you know like you know that's what i think one of the main things that allows you to be at that level yeah no 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 and and it was that was the idea right Um, and i'm not saying that in a in a bad way you know i'm just i'm just saying that you know like compare that to like um you know lamb of god or something who are a pretty big band i think you know everyone in the metal scene would agree but you know they have a ceiling because they don't sing but it's a it's it's a high never gonna but they're never gonna play arenas what are you talking about they literally just (laughs) headline headline arenas they have headline arenas lamb of god i've played arenas with lamb of god (laughs) okay yeah yeah playing in front you know not you know, maybe not play in front of, you know, a uh, Madison Square Garden size crowd, but you know, play in front of like you know, doing like a hockey arena in front of six thousand people. I've done that, right? Yeah, you know, I've done that. You know, well, look- yeah, you know, you know what I mean. You like, you know, Mar- Madison Square Garden, you know, like venues of that level. But, but to me, in in my estimation, is as uh, the way these things trend is always up. You know, as long as a band maintains a level of quality, you know, you look at Slayer. Slayer has been at the level where they're playing arenas and they've been at the level where they're playing clubs. And it's it's kind of like the stock market where it goes up and down, but the trend is towards higher. And right now, Slayer, their Farewell World Tour, is their biggest tour where they're drawing ten to 15,000 people a night. Um so yeah. I, I well, think would it be would it be if they didn't say it was their final one? You know? No, no, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be on that level. It would still be I'm, with that lineup. I still think they'd probably be drawing anywhere from five to ten thousand people a, a night. I think it's a really great lineup, and of course that juices the ball, you know. Uh, but yeah. that but also juice the ball for for Motley Crue and every, you know for the Black Sabbath uh, farewell tour and, and whomever is doing their quote unquote last tour, which nine times out of ten is never their last tour, but. Absolutely. Well, you know, if, um, you know, if we were to, to summarize here, um, you know, I think, I don't know. I just lost my train of thought completely. Well, it's all right. Well, listen, listen, <laughs> I don't know where I went listen it's my podcast and I'll be doing this, the summaries. Okay. Here, you do the summarizing. You tell me. <laughs> no, no, listen, I'm, I'm just, this is more a reflection of, of just, you know, like I said, a lot of the, the writing I did was around this idea of losing this this kind of um right, this right. this groundwork that I think would help the scene overall because I'm always looking at the big picture and I I love the underground stuff and I love the mainstream stuff and even now like I'm you know especially with 
with regard to the, to the world where you guys kind of live in, I'm basically in enemy's territory because all the bands we're playing with are the kind of mainstream, not the cool for school bands. And I'm, you know, even for my taste, it's I'm it kind of going in, in a whole different, a whole different world. Um, it's it just super fascinating, you know, and it also kind of humanizes uh, the, these ideas in a way that you wouldn't have if I wasn't, if you don't get to meet people and see them every day and, and play the shows and kind of get that context because it is a, I tell you from where I started to what I'm doing now, it is a completely different world. You know, and you, it's funny, I'm, I'm seeing, you know, you have that shinedown record and they're, cause they were in Atlanta, Atlanta. Oh records, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. There it is. There's my platinum shinedown record on yeah. the wall right there. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, but, so, but, yeah, I mean, I've seen that world for sure. Yeah, but it's it's for me it's pretty it's pretty new despite being in the in the industry for for all these years I'm kind of getting a, a whole, whole totally different view. But anyway, to summarize, I think I'm right and uh, everyone's wrong. Anyway, no, <laughs> everyone else is wrong. <laughs> no, no, so on, uh, on a- no. I mean, for for sure, like everything is more fragmented now. Um, yeah, I remember what I was going to say. Like to the extent that so in the same way that sort of ten years ago. Uh, you know, the, the old guard kind of had to adjust to the way things are changing monetarily for them and how the music industry functions. Um, I think it's sort of the new reality that things are just more segmented now. Uh, you know, so I'm not sure how productive it is to, um, to, to wish it were a different way, uh, you know, rather than just kind of saying, well, like, Hey, this is the new reality. How do we function with it, and how do we make the most of it? Well, one thing I, I don't want to beat this this topic over the head, but just one thing from me to you, just to let you know that the people, I because they've come to me. Some of the guys that you you rag on, they their feelings do get hurt. So just just so you know that that there there it is it is you know these things. Even though we think, I think often, especially when they're successful you know, and wealthy that our words don't hurt. That's just an opinion. Um, I know a lot of people are like, why don't they like me, man? I'm, I'm nice. You know, I've gotten, (laughs) I've gotten emails and messages from, from people. So, you know, I'm not going to name No, well, thank, thank you for sharing that. Uh, you know, I mean, um, you know, we're, we're, we're definitely aware of it. We're humans too. And people say things about us all the time. Um, you know, I think guys in bands are probably less likely to do that because, they have something at stake, you know, they sort of want, they don't want to upset people that might positively cover them at some point, but you know, people definitely come to us with that, you know, and, and we know, and I mean, look, like, um, I just wrote an overwhelming positively article about the new, all that remains single, uh, you know, and like, I don't know if it's Phil that came to you, I doubt it, but, uh, you know, um, sometimes there are nice things to be said too. Well, yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. And um, speaking of Phil, not that we're going to talk about Phil, but I think it's important to kind of, we mentioned it before a couple of times about the political angle and how that has evolved and how your website has become a lot more politically motivated. Uh, can I ask just on, on, the, on the outset of that, have you noticed any effect in the, the numbers since that kind of has, there's been an uptick in there? Um, yeah, negatively or definitely. negatively, um, both, you know, I mean, like it's, it swings both ways, you know, I mean, first of all, um, 
the 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 reason that we sort of started going more political was not a conscious decision. Uh, you know, it was just something that we were feeling at the time. You know, we were caught up in the moment and like everything that was going on with the last presidential election, and it just seemed like we felt compelled to to do it. You know, the the way that any any artist feels compelled to pursue whatever their inner voice is telling them. Um, the decision to lean into it. Uh, further down the road, that was a bit more calculated. You know, like that was like you guys had a conversation like about these things. Yeah, hey, yeah. Should we yeah, ramp we, this up? Yeah, like we or it was more like should. Well, yeah, should we ramp it up? Should we continue with it? Because um, there there was an incident. I don't know how much you know about this, but uh, there was a band uh, whose name I will not repeat. Who. Um, has very racist members in it, or at least one member who, you know, this guy is just outwardly everywhere just saying horrible shit uh, about minorities, about women, about uh, – we wrote a series of articles that uh, just basically just highlighted some of the stuff this guy has been saying, um, and they got very mad because white supremacists don't like it when you call them white supremacists. And I uh, ended up getting death threats. I ended up getting like the guy like posted my address on the band's Facebook page and, you know, like, told his crazy skinhead fans to like come and get me. And it was just like a very traumatic experience. Mm. Um, and I was sort of forced to deal with it by myself because Matt was on vacation when this happened. And like he's very good about not checking his email and all that. And I knew like if I told him it would just you know, it would just ruin his vacation. Um, and, you know, I dealt with it and I did what I had to do. But when he got back, you know, obviously, like I filled him in on what had happened and we had to have this conversation. It's like, should we continue posting stuff like this? You know, if it's going to like literally threaten our lives and our families. Um, and the decision we came to at that time was like, yes, we have to, we have to do this. Like we feel like we have a platform and we, and you know, and it, it would be silence is complicity. You know, if we were to stay silent on it uh, to, you know, go back to the theme of this episode, I guess is, you know, we'd again be more just like the AP than the, than the Huff post. And um, mm -hmm. we just didn't, didn't want to be that. Yeah. Um, what, what, what would you, what would you say the angle is? Is it, you know, self from a self-described standpoint, is it leftist? Is it liberal, progressive? How would how would you would you put a, a category on it or or a word? Um, all of those things, all of those words. Um, well, it's kind of, you know, I you know I think I have mixed feelings about it because I think it's this is become reflective in many in almost in almost every aspect of the public sphere, right? For example, late night talk shows, you know, have become more political. Um, sports has become more political, right? Right. In every arena with the way things have evolved, um, the current atmosphere is that everything has kind of a political slant to it. And, um, and I don't, I don't think it's been primarily a positive effect because it's it's you know and i get i guess maybe i can see both sides right because part of it is well if we feel something is at a crisis level we feel like you know then but at the same time though 
I don't know. It's it's just it is definitely a divisive time, and I and I and I think the the further apart we are, and the more we see as someone I disagree with politically as the enemy, that it's going to just get worse. You know, I don't. I, and I and I I think that's I think that is actually the mo- most in, the biggest problem politically is not a particular issue whether it's guns or abortion or you know, campaign finance, it's actually division. Like, that's the number one problem. Like, if I could solve anything, it's it's getting people on far ends of the spectrum to not, to realize that a lot of people they disagree with, on, on an issue level, they have more in common than they actually realize, you know? Yeah. Um, well, it definitely is divisive. And uh, I think sort of what you're saying as well is that it's kind of, taken some of the fun out of going to a show for example you know the if there's like all these everything i mean you got yeah, you literally tell you know, me like watching sports you know and 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 this is you know and this is i think the the crux of the issue really is you know and maybe you could speak better to this than i can being a black man in america you know i certainly don't want to put words in your mouth um you know but the sense that i get is that um you know for example if you're uh, a gay man at a metal show and the person up on stage is saying like faggot this faggot that you know like you can't escape your body you're always forced to deal with that and it's hurtful you know so whereas somebody else can go to a show and just easily say like oh whatever i'm just here to have a good time forget about the outside world you know like fuck it screw it let's all be together like that person can't really have that same experience because of who they are. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, I, th- I think what you're, what you know, this is kind of the the idea of perhaps you know, depending on on where whomever we're talking about is is, is developed, like the idea of of wokeness or whatever, and uh, which I, I I'm not a fan of that that term and what it what it implies, but I think it's this this hyper awareness around identity or is or it's you know, or identity politics. I'm kind of the, of the mind that I don't think there, there's no such thing as politics without identity. We're, we're always, there's always going to factor in there. So, so people to me who say we need to get rid of identity politics, like saying we need to get rid of oxygen or so. It's like, what are you talking about? Like you, you don't think your background and your identity informs your opinions on things and creates inherent bias. Of, of course it does. Um, but I think, through that prism, though, of we all we constantly have to monitor what you know what might offend people or people feeling bad, you know, like I think if Angel of Death came out right now, I mean, it's good. It, it, it's possible that sites like yours might be saying Slayer is white supremacist because they wrote a song about the Nazis, or if SOD came out today and basically was doing a tongue in cheek version of a xenophobic douchebag, right? Um, would it be, would that become something serious? Because I think when you look at the evolution, you literally said the site was about being Beavis and Butthead making fun of videos. And, and you know what I'm saying? And and never want, and, and there's a sense of levity and silliness to that, that it's difficult to modulate between those two positions. Right, like you kind of this, and this is the my my kind of main thing. I'm a big Twitter user, as I think you are, where I think everyone's allowed to be in the political sphere, 
But for, but I, I look at someone like a comedian, and what, and I think literally when a comedian becomes too politically involved and it, and they stop, they choose not to be funny in that particular realm, then it dilutes the comedy because the whole point of comedy is that in my opinion is that you can make fun of everything. And this is like the kind of Anthony Jeselnik uh, way of looking at it. It's like yeah, he'll come, he'll open his his stand up with a rape joke, you know, to, to, just to prove the point essentially that. No, nothing is off, off, off limits. Um, I don't, I don't mean the monologue there, but I don't know if yeah. you know, kind well, of. Well, well, you'd have to ask, you know, rape victims how they feel about that. You know, I can't really answer for that. Um, but um, to 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 answer your question about traffic, which which uh, we kind of got sidetracked there, um, it it goes both ways. Like we see that political articles do well generally. Like if there's if somebody says something about Trump or, you know, if we're taking a stand against Phil Labonte's pro-gun stance uh, or, um, you know, there's some white supremacist issue in the black metal scene or whatever it may be, like that kind of content does do well uh, generally. What about overall Um, traffic? But 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 yeah, so overall, um, I'd say it's hurt because people like we have definitely alienated a lot of people. Well, you the, know, and the metal we see that very conservative. Yeah, especially yeah, America. it is. You know, and like people, people, we get a lot of people saying like, oh, well, you should just, you know, not have your opinions in there and just stick to covering the facts, which is ridiculous because clearly you've never read our site uh, and haven't for the past 12 years. Like I was saying earlier, it's always been our opinions. Uh, you know, we get a lot of like metal supposed to be fun, uh, you know, get the politics out of it, you know, which again, you know, is, is difficult because it's not so easy for everybody to, you know, to just take the politics out of everything or, or not necessarily politics, but social issues, let's say more broadly out of everything that they do. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, like a lot of people are pissed off. The tenor of the comment section, I think has been way worse the last couple of years. And, uh, we've definitely seen a lot more anti metal sucks sentiment, I would say overall in the scene. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think that can go at every other way. Like, for example, I had Phil Labonte on my podcast to just, just to do a debate about guns. Um, and one of the things I asked him was that because he is so outspoken, I'm like, this has to turn off certain certain people. And I think it goes both ways, whether you're talking about OTEP or Rob Flynn or, uh, you know, someone who's more on the right wing side, like, you know, Ted Nugent. Like, I imagine if. To, you know, maybe it works the other way. Maybe you have you turn off these people, but then the other people are so into you because you're you're so outspoken for blank. Um, so I think it, it can kind of go both ways. And we, we've seen this a million times, whether it's the Dixie Chicks taking a big hit or, um, you know, uh, actors who are who are a little uh, who are very outspoken. You you run the risk. Right. Once you kind of lead with your with with your, with your politics in a in a very definitive and kind of from a, a partisan standpoint of it affecting your career and your your business you know which is why so many people and entities decide not to do that like for example i don't know if this is official decree but i get just from what i gather is that metallica they don't really engage you'll, you'll hear him talk a little bit about it recently right so Hetfield is on Rogan and you know he you know talks about hunting and kind of moving out of San Francisco and things like that and then you've seen 
comments from Lars and Kirk about, you know, speaking negatively about Trump and, and things like that. So they've mentioned a little bit, but as a band in official capacities, they seem to uh, stay out of it. And it seems to be on purpose. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think a lot of bands do that, but I, I mean, I think even the individuals in Metallica really don't get too far into it at all. You know, yeah. like compare that to like Corey Taylor or Rob Flynn or somebody like that who are out there all the time saying stuff. You know, I don't think they would say this is the official position of Machine Head or Slipknot or Stone Sour. You know, those are just those individuals. But I mean, I think, yeah, I think it really does divide a fan base. Um, or a readership in our case. And, you know, that's something that, you know, we knew what we were doing and it's something that we've had to deal with. Um, but, you know, I, I really don't think there was any other way for us to go. Right on. Um, I don't know if this, we, we kind of had a little bit of a, a dust up recently with regard to, I guess, some things that were, were posted with uh, Bad Wolves and some, uh, I guess we took some pictures with uh, some police officers or or something. I don't. Did you did you want to talk about that at all? Yeah, we can talk about. It. I, I didn't see this particular issue. I, I thought you were going to mention the lyrics of "Officer Down." Oh yeah, I mean, um, so yeah, so Battles has a song called "Officer Down," which when it was released, um, we actually got a lot of negative feedback, primarily from the right, uh, from from people who thought we were, you know, we're we're thinking that the band is black lives matters activist or anti-cop or whatever. Um, and then Tommy put out a, you know, statement basically, um, kind of clarifying that. But the truth is that the song, the whole point of the song is if you go verse by verse, it's actually, it takes it from both perspectives. It talks about, you know, uh, cops overstepping the bounds and, um, being unwieldy with their force, and over, you know, and, uh, you know, and I, I don't think the song actually, no, it does actually specifically re regard race. Um, and then also talks about the, the dangers of that job and, and what that, that they're at inherent risk and obviously things can go wrong for them as well. So it was really about tackling it from, from both sides. I didn't write the lyrics, uh, to the song and, you know, there's, you know, the opening songs to the song and our album are, you know, pull the trigger on this nigger, let's go. You know, that's, you know, and <laughs> and our label tried to get get him to change the lyrics or maybe drop the song. And Tommy stood by his guns and he said, no, this is this is my reality. Kind of talking about what you were saying before about as a black man in America and what he's been through. And he's like, no, this is part, you know, and I and I I was proud of him for taking that stand from an artistic standpoint because I feel like, and this is the thing about being in a band, I think that most people don't think about, is that I think they kind of presume that bands are on are on the same page, or that if the singer writes something, that it has to go through all these clearances in the band for us to, oh, well, here, give the thumbs up. And I'm of the mind, especially when you are the singer, and you have to go up there and and say that stuff um you have to it's more important that he, the singer is behind it than i am you know it's like him coming and tell me what guitar solo to play or something um so you know 
but yeah, so that's a, that's the kind of background of that song. I, I can't remember exactly what the um, the Twitter exchange was was about. Yeah, I think it was just I was just kind of like asking, you know, how you feel about playing in a band with lyrics. Because I mean, yeah, yes, he kind of looks at both sides, but I think the overarching sentiment is more of a, a pro cop one than uh, than not in the lyrics. It was the sense I got from it. Um, well, I, you know, so I, I think I pretty much discredited that. Like I said, I mean, if it's pro cop, I don't think it'd be pull a trigger on this nigga. <laughs> not for no, not for nothing. Um, you know, and you know, there's references. I mean, hands up, don't shoot is in the chorus, and we all know that's from the yeah, you know, yeah. the reportings from Mike, Michael Brown. Um, but I think more what you're where I think where you're gathering that is basically because the band we took pictures with some officers i forget where we were um some officers and they they gave us these these badges um and you know kind of asking if i was pro cop or or, or I, you know i forget the exact framing on that yeah um i don't i don't recall either but yeah i mean it's interesting you know i i, I was just kind of wondering how what your feelings were about being in that situation because the, this the sense i get from um from just knowing what i know about tommy and you know in the brooklyn scene and you know and people that knew him is he's tends to veer more that direction kind of on the on the political side uh you know he's friends with several cops and and so on and so forth yeah i mean i, I think he's probably gotten all sides from it um, because he hasn't exactly been a choir boy his whole life, so he, I'm sure he's had a handful of run-ins with with, with the law on on the other end, um, you know. But he definitely, you know, politically, he and I are definitely do not see eye to eye in many right. in, in 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 many regards. Um, and I think that's kind of one of the the compromises you make to be in a band. You know, being some of the some of the guys in God forbid did not see eye to eye, um, and. And I think that's okay, you know. Um, and you and but it's it's cert, what it's the and I get it for every band it's not like that, you know. For certain bands have a political impetus, you know. If you're in Pussy Riot, your politics probably matter, right? right. Um, you know, to you know, or certain bands that you know, I, I re, you know remember reading or seeing interviews with the guys from Refused, and they talk about how important their politics and activism was to the. Um, the ethos and the philosophy behind the band and the motivations for, for wanting to, to be in there. That's never really been my position. You know, I'm kind of music first and all that stuff is, um, I think it informs the art from a lyrical standpoint or from a, you know, our album cover is literally a kind of riot cop, you know, so there, you know, that, so that's some of the, the imagery and, uh, concepts i think that that we were dealing with because it's kind of speaking to what's going on right now right is fear of the authoritarian um unrest right uh civil un, un, unrest and and kind of being in this in this moment but my my overall opinion of it is that this is just a fucking shitty time <laughs> yeah. you know like i don't yeah. think these, so I, rem- I remember making a post um Right, you know, maybe it was like 2012, 2013, or 14. I'm like, and it was right when all these videos kept kept getting posted of cops whipping someone's ass or doing, and and I'm like, it's just me or 
black people getting their ass whooped by by cops or is it you know and the, and the question was was it that it was happening more or are we just seeing it more right because of uh, cell cell phones and and uh body cams and and things like this and i think the sentiment is no this has always been going on but it's we're just we're just seeing it more and obviously with Trayvon Martin and Michael Brown, all these different instances, it's become this a political movement. Um, but like anything, I think uh, I think most issues, and this is why, you know, I'm not a, a partisan leftist. I'm not, you know, I'm become much much more centrist as I've gotten older, um, because I think like anything, when you when you're trying to achieve a political goal. You tend to oversimplify things and live in the in the realm of hyperbole, um, but but the truth is, that's a, you know, do we want no police? No, that's probably be anarchy. It'd be you know fucking you you don't you don't want to live in a in a society that doesn't have rule of law. All right, so someone has to be the police, right? <laughs> we, yeah, we, well, we, yeah. I mean, I think I don't think. Very many people are saying no police. Certainly, some. Well, yeah, yeah. So, but, but, uh, but you know, but, it's like let's just improve upon exactly. what they're doing. You know, yeah, there's yeah. always room for improvement. So I think it's like 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 anything. Um, you have to, you know, it's it's important to to view the the, the nuance that it's a it's a tough job, and we should put more focus on fixing the culture of that of that type of work and who it attracts and what you know and and you know and, and I think just an overall idea that we're just the most policed western society you know we have the most people in prison yeah. we're we're yeah. we're very eager to put people in a cage for doing things and we're supposed to be land of the free but we don't that doesn't necessarily represent itself in 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 the ethic and i would say when my personal experience is saying i just quoting Chappelle, is like it's not that i don't like the police i'm just scared of them <laughs> mm-hmm. he, was, then, he was ahead of his time with that one and, and uh, that, well look man i mean maybe everybody's got you know could take a lesson from what you and tommy are doing in bad wolves and you know and come together on things that they don't necessarily see eye to eye on because it feels like very few people are doing that right now yeah i mean i but i think it's it's the the idea same thing with me and phil from all that remains like we disagree on probably you know 50 to 60 70 percent of 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 these things but we've i've had on my podcast twice just to talk about politics to have a civil conversation and say hey this is my friend and we didn't i feel like we, you know there was less division because back in the day we just knew less about people's politics but because now people put it out there and um and we kind of tend to see people as that instead of you know it's like if I didn't yeah. know John Voight's politics, would I view John Voight differently, right? If I didn't know James Wood's politics, would I view that person differently? Because back in the day, we just didn't know, you know, and you have it. And it's crazy if you think of things in those terms, once you know that about someone and they said something shitty, um, you know, it's like even like Ted Nugent, like he was on Rogan and I listened to it expecting to kind of be frustrated and annoyed. But you listen to it like, nah, man, Ted Nugent if it wasn't for the political element, we'd probably all like Ted Nugent, you know, from a, because he's charismatic and he's a great musician and he's entertaining and all this. But it, the, once you kind of factor those things in there, it, it colors the way we view people. And, and, and there is, you know, we tend to think of tolerance as this thing about, uh, from a kind of 
injustice standpoint or or um, equality. But I don't think we think about tolerance in terms of political difference in that we should, you know, we always talk about the idea of going home for uh, for Thanksgiving and having these awkward conversations with family members who maybe come from different uh, political circles. But I think that is relevant of, of being accepting. And I think we're but now it's the opposite where people are like, can't, was it canceling people? That's what we call it, where we're just we're done with with people. Oh, I, I've seen that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, you know, it comes to down to this idea you see discussed a lot of can you separate the art from the artist? And, um, you know, for, for me, it's it's very difficult to do. Um, I think it, it really depends what it is. And I think in some cases you can. Um, you know, it really just depends the, the extent to which it is. It's like for, for music, you're making a decision to support an artist with buying a record or a piece of merch or a concert ticket or whatever it may be, you know, and it's like, do I want to be giving my money to people with views that are very, very different from my own and in some cases even hateful? For me, the answer is no. Um, but I do think there are degrees of that. Like I actually wrote an article a couple of years ago. John Petrucci from Dream Theater said something about supporting Trump. And uh, like I had this existential crowd. I was like, shit, like do I have to stop writing Dream Theater? And like I know what you're thinking is like you never should have been liking Dream Theater anyway. <laughs> that I band's love, garbage. I, but, I love Dream Theater. Uh, so. Well, the, the, the royal you in terms of whoever's oh, yeah. listening to this podcast. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, they were they were a favorite band of mine and, you know, I mean, still are, I guess, is kind of where I'm going. Like in that case, I was sort of able to overlook it and, you know, and, and kind of just rationalize it using mental gymnastics somehow and saying, you know, well, this guy probably means well. He's probably just confused. He doesn't, you know, maybe he doesn't uh, – know everything about the trump administration he probably doesn't hate women he probably doesn't hate muslims he probably doesn't hate black people gay people so on and so forth you know this he was just you know i mean now that i talk about it i don't really know how i rationalize that but somehow it seems not as extreme as supporting known uh, white supremacists who are in bands or, you know, to me, I mean, I would even put Phil Labonte sort of in the category of somebody that I can't support because of how extreme his views are with regards to guns and certain other things. Um, and how to me, I just can't reconcile supporting that. Um, I mean, thankfully I don't really like his music that much anyway, so it's not an issue. Um, but if it were, it would it would be something I don't think I could support anyway. Well, I mean, I'm I'm completely on the on the other end. I'm I just I think this is a very modern way of of looking at these things, and it's it's very much about recency bias. You know, I think if if you if you enjoyed a certain piece of classic artwork, whether it's Shakespeare or classical, you know, some old jazz or something, and you have no relation to the creator. You know, uh, you just accept you just accept the work for what it is, and we just know, we know more about people now than we ever have. Like I have this kind of theory about you know my theory about Hillary Clinton is that she was a a regular politician in a world that doesn't accept what regular is anymore, 
<laughs> like uh -huh. you know what I'm saying by by today's standards everyone's kind of corrupt or or every or the the the, the normals the norms um and you know in my, in some of my examples is like you know uh Richard Pryor is like beat his wives and so did like Miles Davis so I'm, I'm am I just not going to listen to bitches brew because Miles Davis might not have been the the best guy if I'm sitting in a Herman Miller chair if I found out that Herman Miller like touched kids and I'm like Oh, can't sit in chairs anymore. Or the motherfucker that invented the light. You know, Thomas Edison was like an evil motherfucker who like, you know, who like killed a family. I'm like, oh, can't use light bulbs. And, and but, it, but basically what I'm saying is that we only moralize when it comes to art. Um, but the truth is the what these people who create these things do for us is the thing. Like, I'll never, you know, it's like when Prince died, I'm like, Prince has as much of a factor in my life alive as he was dead. I'll never get to meet Prince. I ain't gonna hang out with Prince. Like, they, their job is to kind of create these things, and that's my relationship with them. It's not to hang out with them. It's not to be their best friend. And, and I also think some shitty people do some really great things from a creative standpoint, and that's and sometimes their two things go together, like them being a fucked up person, or having a fucked up childhood or whatever experience is part of the reason why they're a great artist. Yeah, well, that's a slippery slope, though, because, you know, if we start going down that road, then the logical conclusion is that nothing anyone does is their own doing. It's all just a product of how they were brought up, you know, like at a, at a certain well, point they have to accept responsibility for their actions but that, as but, an adult. But that to me is a very, that is a right wing position. That is the right, right wing position why we have to lock everyone up and we, you know, uh, you know, tough on crime and three strikes and you're out. And this, I, yeah, ev basically for people who do quote unquote bad things and moral things, there's always a route, whether it's, uh, bad upbringing, whether it's bad genetics, whether, um, you know, they, you know, it's very rare where it's just, you have the lone sociopath who had every advantage and everything was right. And they're just, you know, quote unquote evil, you know? So I, I think it's this mentality where, you know, I, and what it, about it, Varg? He, uh, falls into that category of, of what, just a lone s sociopath. But yeah, the, but, you know, he had a decent upbringing. But yeah, you know, but, and, but but here's the important. But that's what I'm saying is that their society is more progressive, and because of that, he's not in prison. And so, and he he eventually they believed in reform, and he did his time, and now he's out. If he was in America, he'd still be in jail. So to me, to go to that, that is the more right wing position is to to be more, um, you know, to to have a a, a system that is more honed in on punishment and not on reform in my opinion. right well i mean ultimately i agree with that i just think you know you can't uh, at a certain point you have you, you you can't keep giving people forgiveness for you know for the actions they take as adults um you know i think there has to be some responsibility i don't think it's all or nothing well, I well, and, and I think what's what's kind of going on and this is so reflective now because of this uh brett kavanaugh um, confirmation hearings is this idea that in lieu of being able to prosecute people 
right? Like, for example, like this situation where like sex crimes often they're very difficult to prosecute because it's it's she he said she said there's no physical evidence, right? Just in general, they're very difficult to. So what we've done is is we do now because of the internet and social media, we do have a court of public opinion. And that's where our prosecutions are happening. And this is kind of, this is a new world. You know, this is a where we, where we don't know exactly what this will um end up looking like but the idea is well we can't send you to jail legally so it's take your job away um you don't get invited to the cool people parties you know the red the red carpet gala events and and things or, or whatever it's to, it's ostracization um and and i think that's uh that's a very odd time to, to be in because no one has ever explained what these people should do or where they should go no one's yeah, explained that to uh, me. It's, they it's just a weird went- time. And I mean, I think we're still figuring it out, honestly. You know, I don't think anyone knows really kind of how this is all going to shake out. Um, but, uh, you know, there's definitely downsides of it. I would like to think that it's going in the right direction overall, uh, that some kind of equilibrium will be struck. Um, but, um, yeah, it's a, it's a strange time for sure. It's a really transitory time. Well, right on, man. I don't want to uh, beat this uh, in, into, <laughs> into into the ground, but um, I definitely wanted to do talk a little bit of politics on there because I just know you guys are involved and how much you care, and I and I like I like getting a little political talk on the show when I can. For sure, anytime. But sure. um, but yeah, man. Um, I I think we should probably wrap this up. Is there anything going on with you guys coming up uh, with the site or future ventures that you want to talk about or plug before we wrap it up? Uh, not particularly, you know, I mean, we're just doing what we do. Uh, you know, people ask me that question. Uh, I've always asked me that question and my answer is always just sort of likening it to whatever a band's next album is going to be, you know, like you don't really know kind of until you get in there and start writing it. And we don't have a grand plan for what our proverbial next album is going to be. Uh, you know, there's obviously been sort of an, you know, we got into this earlier. There's been a bunch of different eras or phases of metal sucks and what it's been uh and um you know i don't know what the next one's going to be like i said we certainly didn't plan to do the political thing uh at least not first although you know we kind of leaned into it once it got going but um you know i think we kind of just have to have to see uh the key for me is just not to repeat ourselves you know i i never want to be in a position where I'm the band writing the same album over and over. You know, I don't want to slayer it for for my entire career. <laughs> well, I think it's, um, it's cool that you guys with you've expanded with the podcast and the YouTube content, and it's clear that you're interested in taking that you see Metal Sucks not as a blog but as a brand that you can use it in other. You know, you've done festivals and you've kind of definitely gotten out there in different ways to expand that. Yeah, for sure. And that's that's all been a part of that. You know, I'm, I'm one of those people who, you know, like I, I'm an artist at heart in that way is that I'm never comfortable just doing the same thing. You know, I was like, what's the next thing? Like, how do we how do we evolve? How do we get better? How do we change it up? Um, I can't really say what what that's going to be, but um, we'll see. Right on, brother. Thank you so much. Where can people find you on, online to uh, send hate mail? <laughs> well, uh, people can uh, love or love go, mail. Love mail. 
people can go on metalsucks.net and leave very articulate comments telling how much they love us on uh, as they usually do. Um, they can find me uh, at Vince Nielstein on Twitter, uh, Ben Umanov on Facebook, Instagram. You can find me. Um, I am a generally findable person. So uh, Google my name and get at me. Word up. Thank you so much for doing the show. Thank you for having me, man. This was a real pleasure. Really appreciate the opportunity. So there it is, my conversation with Ben Yumanov. Thank you so much to him for coming on the show. I really appreciated him taking his time out of his busy schedule. That was a lot of fun. Um, guys, I'm kind of failing right now, you know, because we do this at one in the morning. The um, the vocalizations, the, the eloquence, it leaves the body. I've been doing a lot of editing. I don't know if you can hear it. So I keeps it real out here, all right? I keeps it real by editing and faking it so that you think I can speak well. And uh, that's that's what, what what goes on. But um, before I go, I just want to share a little thought I had the other day about, you know, you know how there's like light-skinned black people? They're like, oh, well, Tony, man, that light-skinned dude. And it's like, man. And then, so, but you can be like, you know, like Ice-T, Right, he's light skinned, but he's still black. Like he's he's black, but he's he's light skinned. I'm like, man, okay, but how come that doesn't go the other way, right? How come you can't be white, but then just be like I'm dark skinned white, you know? And no one ever says that. I mean, I know you'd be say I'm Italian or something like this, but I was like, what if I was getting beat up by some neo Nazis, right? And they were just like, bam, 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 fuck you, nigga, right, 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 right? and they're beating me up, and I just tell them, like, guys, stop, stop. It's cool. I'm dark skinned white. You know, and they're like, oh, brother, we didn't know. You know, and I, I get up. I'm like, all right, let's go find those darkies and beat them up. But the, the real ones, not like me, not a, a, a dark, a white person who is a dark, you know, dark skinned white, you know. Just something I'm thinking about, guys. You know, think, uh, think it's a card I can play if I'm ever getting hate crimed. Let them know I'm not really black, you know. Or, I, I mean, it's a lie, but, you know. Just you know, just spitballing, workshopping it. You guys, let me know what you what you, what you think about that. But it's uh, just something I've been thinking about. You know, got to listen. Got to got to play this biracial thing uh, any way you can for your advantage. You know, it's what, just how it is. It's what you know. Got to use the advantages, and I appreciate it. Anyway, I think that's uh, enough running my mouth. Anyway, yep, I'm done. Out of coffee. Out of ideas. Out of luck. Mom out. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.